Welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The OmniTalk Fast Five is the funniest, fastest, and most fervently insightful breakdown of all the week's top news in the world of retail, and also the podcast with the best alliteration. It's August 26th, 2021. I am your host, Ann Mazinga, and you will notice a friendly face and voice next to me, back in action, Chris Walton. I'm back. I'm back. Holy, we're going to get the explicit rating for this one, but holy shit. Yeah, we are. Where have you been? Uh, Chris, now there have been some running bets on exactly what <laughs> happened to you. Can't wait to hear this. Uh, one one idea was that you were the fifth member of the new Shepherd with Bezos up in space that they just neglected oh, to mention and that he yeah. just accidentally left you out in. Well, in the, if like, that were true, I would not be able to confirm nor deny that report. <laughs> okay. But the other one, and I think this is much more likely after this week, is that you actually ran into Mark Laurie on the streets of Minneapolis after one of his Timberwolves <laughs> meetings, and you are now being held captive in an abandoned jet black warehouse space. Uh, also cannot confirm or deny that report. Also, that's probably the more plausible of the two. I, that's what I, I got a hundred fisticuffs with Mark Laurie after yes. my uh, diatribe on on social media this week. But yeah, no. But it's, tell our re- tell our yeah. listeners who've been wondering, Chris, where you've been during this wet, hot OmniTalk retail summer. Oh my God! Well, it's been it's first of all, it's really good to be back. It's about yes. as good to be back as I possibly can ever feel for someone that does this. We're also back in the office for the first time. Like we have, this is our first time doing the podcast with each other in a physical space in almost what it's, a year and a half. Yes, and yeah. it's very wake up San Diego. Yeah, we have very, like yeah, a coffee we got a whole new setup. And you're going to find this is actually quite challenging for me because the reason I was out for those that are interested is, uh, believe it or not, in G- early June, I had a stroke. Uh, came upon me suddenly. I was at the gym. Uh, fortunately, Ann's husband is Mr. Amitok, and he was the trainer at the time. And he noticed it really quickly. I started to get like the funny, you know, droopy face, like slurring my words. Noticed it really quickly. Called the paramedics right away. And fortunately enough for me, really lucky. We we're right by the hospital. I was on the operating table in like 30 minutes uh, and no residual effects. But I had two clots, uh, one in my neck, one in my brain. They went in, busted them up, and essentially no residual effects except for my hair is a lot grayer all of a sudden. Uh, but I don't know if that's just from being old or just from the stroke. But, uh, but man, yeah, it feels really good to be back, sliding into things, starting writing for Forbes, put a couple articles out the last couple yeah. of weeks. This is my first podcast. I want to give a huge thank you to to everyone that filled in for me while I was gone. You know, folks like Carl Boutte, Steve Dennis, Oliver Banks, Sucharita, uh, Najla, yeah, Najla Kayam, James Cook, David Ritter, Kristen Kohler, Mohit, and Emmett from uh, A&M. You guys, I couldn't thank you guys enough. And Anne, I think for you, man, you held down the ship. Like, this was crazy, people. Like, you know, I go out and I'm like, Anne, it's it's your thing. You got to run this thing by yourself. You did it with aplomb which is a word that I've always wanted to say. I don't know what that is. Yeah, so it's fine. If you want that to be a compliment, you're going to have to explain it's, that. Yeah, it's, for you know, me it's and just, maybe some of the listeners. Just, it just means you did okay. You know, you did well. You did well. No, you did <laughs> I awesome. Think, I think okay is probably giving me too high of No, you, No, you did awesome. You did awesome. And, and the best thing about it, Anne, honestly, is, and this is for Lee, uh, uh, Lee Sherman Esmond, who, you know, always likes it when we dial up to 11. Now, I want to say the best thing coming out of this stroke is now, for everyone listening, when I say something, you know, really insightful or brilliant, you know, I guess you could honestly call it a stroke of genius. Oh, my God. 
It's too soon, Chris. <laughs> it's never too soon. It's never too soon to get to the headlines. So let's do it, Anne. All right. Today we are going to talk Toys R Us back from the dead inside Macy's, if that makes sense. Uh, Walmart's Go Local program, Ship's preferred shopper program, Warby's IPO plans. But first, we're going to take off with our first headline. So headline number one, according to the Wall Street Journal, Amazon is opening large Woo! retail stores yeah. akin, another akin, great word. I, I love the reporting here, akin. Akin to yes. department stores. So Amazon wants a larger retail presence to sell clothing and household items and facilitate exchanges. Some of the first Amazon department stores are expected to be located in Ohio and California. Okay. California, and, no surprise. Ohio, yeah. maybe. Yeah, dude, they're going after Columbus. Yeah. They were like that like nah, new right. mall in Columbus was yeah. named like the top retail experience oh, destination yeah, of the year. Right, I don't know. Right, I don't right. know. Whatever you, you whatever your you mall might. trivia is yeah. fascinating to me. So the new retail spaces are expected to be around thirty thousand square feet. Uh Chris, this is a little bit of what we'll say like day old news, but uh I think that we have to talk about it. You and I have been this has been a topic of discussion for a long time. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's I think it's really interesting. It's hella interesting, actually, to borrow California speak where they're going. Um, but you know, I think you can't read into this too much. I mean, I think the reporting on this is really funny because it's like, oh, they're going to go after a department store. You know, they're going to try to go after the traditional Macy's, Kohl's type play. But at the same time, it's three thousand square feet, so it's like you're talking about a really different beast here. And so I wrote about it in Forbes. I said, look, there's like, in my mind, there's three different scenarios here. You've got Amazon doing a department store with the fashion, trying to get into, everyone is always like, Amazon is sell more fashion. Well, do they really? They sell, they're, they're like selling more than Walmart now mm-hmm. recently, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. When I was out, that, that news came out. So like, do they really, or is there something else here, like more true department store-ish thing? Because Amazon's not going to go in and do apparel, all inspirationally merchandised. I mean, Amazon's only muscle memory in apparel mer- in physical merchandising is Amazon Four Star, which looks like Jackson Pollock had sex with the Sharper Image catalog. So like that's just not going to happen. So number one, second thing is like you could be like, okay, they're going to do something cool with Amazon Go, maybe like put a Target or Walmart in thirty thousand square feet, make it checkout free. But technology is not there for a whole host of reasons quite yet. And so it comes back to I think what you've talked about in the past, which I think has been really brilliant, is. I wouldn't be surprised if it's some combination of shipping location, Mm -hmm. which you don't know what locations they're going to go after yet either. But the traditional anchor boxes are bigger. So are they going to put 30,000 in the bottom floor, you know, or the top floor or whatever and have another floor for shipping? I don't know. Right. But let's just assume there's some aspect of shipping because you're closer to the consumer from a last mile standpoint. But I think it's going to be a return hub. Really, I think that's it's going to be for they're going to inventory with the things they know are going to sell in the area. And it's going to be a place for returns. And thank you, Kohl's for giving them the experiment nationwide to understand exactly how many people are coming in to do that on a regular basis. And they're going to discount the hell out of that product when it comes back. And it's going to be basically a new version of off-price retailing, similar to TJX, similar to Ross, similar to Nordstrom Rack, similar to Backstage at Macy's, mm-hmm. that where all the money's going to, that just is going to make a ton of sense. And people are going to go there because it's, quite frankly, a lot easier to return your products. And shit, at Amazon with their marketplace, you never know what you're going to find there. Right. Right. Not at all. You're going to find really good stuff sold by third parties because the brands can't police what they sell, return there, and the brands aren't going to be able to do anything about it. It's going to be outstanding. So I don't I, – I think I'm 
I feel like I'm close to the mark on this. We'll see what happens. I mean, who knows? But at the end of the day, it's just an experiment for them, too, which I think is an important thing to remember. Yeah, I think the other key point is the merchandising thing keeps getting brought up. Like, yeah. you know, you said it in your Forbes article. I've had, you know, people reaching out. Dave Glaza, was one of the listeners, was going back and forth with me on LinkedIn about that and that they can't merchandise. And I, I guess I say, I say to that, look at Nordstrom Rack. Yeah, Nordstrom look Rack at, doesn't Look at Backstage at Macy's. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need to be merchandised, no. especially in a mall setting, to no. get the people People that are going to be coming to a mall if that's where they choose to open these stores. And I think that what we're really looking at is as you look at how Amazon continues to test and evolve what the right mix of household essentials, of bargain basement discounts, of clothing and, you know, home furnishings and all these other things, I think you know, if I'm Target or Walmart, this is when I really start to get scared. And this is what I posted last week, like the hmm. Target and Walmart earnings came out and it was like, are, can you stop them? Can, I mean, these these companies are just, you know, going gangbusters. But I think this is where I start to get worried when they're starting to expand both fresh concepts and this retail department store ish concept. Um, and they're going to start offering the same mix of products now that you have been so like comfortable selling Walmart and Target. For yeah, a long time. that's interesting point. I think the one thing that I think still defends them against that a little bit, though, is is that when you go into a Walmart or Target, you know exactly what you're going to find. You know, if it's a return hub, you're not necessarily going to have the confidence that you're going to find what you want, which is, you know, the same thing you'd have, the phenomenon you'd have at a TJ Maxx or a Nordstrom's Rack or anything like that. And even if it's more department storage, traditional department storage, where it's not just clothes, but it's everything like home furnishings and whatnot. So I think they're still insulated there. Mm -hmm. But Again, it's only an experiment for today. They're going to get better. They're going to learn how to merchandise. They're going to learn how to do all this. They're going to learn how to do checkout free and bigger boxes. They could buy one of the, you know, buy a retailer that knows how to do that. To or the some people degree. from Macy's and Walmart, or from, sorry, from Target and right. Walmart who know how to do that right. really well. Like, look at Bed Bath and Beyond. They Put, took the whole team of Target yeah, and right. them Put, over. I mean, right, right. No, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, retail is creatures of habit, like we always say. But yeah, but they could put the technology in that over time. So, but this is, a, I think, a first stage experiment to go down that path. But brings up another point, though, because we department stores are also in the news this week because, as you mentioned in the beginning, Toys R Us is now partnering with Macy's. And the rumor or the announcement is that Toys R Us will be coming to over 400 doors in Macy's. And it sounds like it's actually next year. And then also the they will uh, Macy's will run the experience for Toys R Us online, which is similar to what uh, Target did for Toys R Us back in 2000, holiday of 2019. But remember... Target basically told Toys R Us to get the hell out of there. They didn't want to do it again, which I think is an interesting part of this story. But the hope, according to CNBC, and, par- and this is CNBC paraphrasing Macy's chief merchant, Nata DeVere, is that shoppers will visit Macy's in search of toys and pick up a few other items such as apparel or makeup along the way. No shit. Thank you for that insight, CNBC. Uh, and my question for you, does this make you want to go to Macy's with little Ani Talk Jr.? No, because... Like Why? Jeff Gannett himself said that he's trying to target me, a millennial mom, right. that I might be going in there with my kid. Chris, I cannot think of a worse place that I want to take my kids than the mall right now. It is not convenient. I cannot get yeah. a lot of things done in that place, especially a Macy's. Like, I am i don't even know what I went to yeah. Macy's for the last time. It yeah. was some, like, state of emergency, I need a belt for a funeral kind of situation. And I think kids have also become conditioned, especially over the course of this pandemic, to go to Target and Walmart for these kinds of things. Like that's where they want to ask for toys. And as a mom, I'm looking at Target and Walmart now as I can go get my groceries. I can pick up, you know, kids' uniforms and school supplies. I can pick up 
you know, toys if they want to go look at, you know, I can yeah. bribe them with the toys section, especially now with Disney stores opening and so many more Target stores. Like, I don't have any other reason to go anywhere else really but Target and a Walmart right for now. For toys, yeah. For everything, yeah. though. Like, for toys specifically, but but certainly when I'm thinking about how time-starved the millennial mom yeah. is. I could see if maybe you wanted, like, a nicer outfit or something, like you'd go into Macy's. But you're not going to bring your kid along for that to shop for toys. Mo- I mean, and are- how many people really need that right now, right? And, and honestly, if I'm looking for a nicer outfit right now that's affordable, yeah. I'm going to Target. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think yeah. you're dead on. But I actually think this is dumber for an even for even more reasons, like even more strategic. There's a lot of strategic flaws in this. And like, I know uh, Yehuda, Yehuda Shimon, the, the the guy that's running TRU, met him a few times. Great guy. I like him a lot. I think he's actually going to do fine in this. But like for Macy's, I don't get why you're doing this. It's actually smacks more of desperation to me again. Because you think about it, like, look, look at the history. Target tried to run the website. They got, they got no value in the brand, mm-hmm. right? Target, who's like the darling of retail right now, got no value in the brand. You know they shopped this to every retailer. Macy's was probably the only one that was desperate enough to take the call and do it. But here's the thing. We've talked about this before. Toys R Us was Toys R Us and it was cool because it was a toys superstore. Right. That was the brand. Mm-hmm. When you take that away, the brand doesn't mean anything. It's just toys in a Macy's. How much square footage is Macy's going to devote to this? It's probably going to be like three, 4,000 square feet. Yeah, like Story was. Like, like Story was. Yeah. And we saw the execution of Story. It was crap. So, like, why do we think that just having a section of toys that's labeled by Toys R Us is going to make people come? If you stop and think about this, is I thought about this last night. This is really no different than Best Buy going out of business and Walmart saying, you know what? I'm going to make Best Buy my electronics department. Hmm. And when you think about it that way, it actually makes no sense. Like, yeah. if you want to just put toys in your store, Macy's, just put toys in your store. Right. The Toys R Us brand Halo is not going to carry anything with it because it's not what it means. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think I think the only thing I was trying to I was I was grasping, Chris. I was trying to figure out like who how who possibly could they have been thinking of um and the only thing i was like yeah. maybe boomer grandparents who are still like maybe. shopping at the department stores would you know take their kids here for like a birthday or a special occasion but then i and then i was like maybe if they got it in time for the holidays but they're not doing that and even if they did yeah. the holidays i don't you know that revenue or, or counting or, or comping over that holiday revenue would not be sustainable for the the business initiative overall. So it's a good point. Like it's such a good idea in retail. When you have a good idea, you chase it like hell. Yeah. And this thing is it's according to the article at least not even rolling out until in stores until next year. Right. So like I don't. It's a great point. Like what the hell is going on here? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, talk about chasing a good idea. Uh, Walmart oh, really? is going okay. all in on the white label delivery service that they are calling Go Local. Chris. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Walmart PR engine was busy while you were gone. Oh my God. Yeah, they were like, it's turned up to an 11 again. Yeah. I can't yeah. handle it. Uh, um, like, did you, sorry, I got it. I got it. Yes. Go. Did you see the announcement yesterday that they are partnering with the MIT media lab? Like, like that's some cool, innovative thing. Like, uh, yeah, I looked on the list, like every retailer partners with the MIT media lab. Like you're not doing anything cool just because you say that it doesn't mean anything. But anyway, sorry. Ian. Okay. So, um, are you gonna be all right? We got to, yeah, I feel yeah. like we need like one of those pressure monitors in here just to make sure that like you're okay. And like we need, we'll put a, yeah. we'll put like a track. Embolism the, watch. Yes. We need an EW. <laughs> Thank God. Um, okay. So according to the wall street journal, 
The service will provide drop-off and pickup of packages from local and large retailers alike starting at the end of this year. Uh, the deliveries will be handled by a combination of associates, gig workers, and at times other delivery companies and unmarked vans. So these will not be Walmart delivery vans. The Walmart yeah. press room said that Go Local has already established a number of contractual agreements with national and enterprise retail clients and is currently accepting select new merchant partners. Uh, I don't know about this, Chris, um, but we have to figure out what our thoughts are on this because A&M. Oh, this is the A&M question. Oh, they man. put us on the spot each week to see how the team here at OmniTalk, we would approach the types of challenges that they help retailers solve every day to stay on the right side of disruption. So, Chris, they want to know this okay. week, does Walmart have the scale to build a profitable business around last mile delivery where other others have struggled to do it? Um, is this really what Walmart should be focusing on to move the needle? And if not, what? Wow. Okay. Great question. I love that the guy who just had a stroke gets the tough question from AM. So thank you, AM. I always appreciate that. Thank you for looking out for me. Um, I think it's a great question, though. So do they have the scale? I'd say yes, they have the scale. Um, but this announcement is more confusing and has more things wrapped up in it than my grandmother's goulash. Um, like it's it's just it's really hard to understand it. So like for example, like Walmart claims that it's, you know, it's going to be using a mix of its own fleet. It's going to be using a mix of, of gig workers and drivers. They're going to be in unmarked Walmart vans and not clothed in Walmart clothing. So, like, I start to think about that. I'm like, okay, wait, 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 wait. How, what are you doing here then? Because if you're going to use your own fleet, fine. Then you get more scale efficiencies in your deliveries. Mm -hmm. If you're going to use gig workers, that's something completely separate, which is very hard, which comes with its own host of problems in terms of uh, delivery consistency people showing up, the deliveries arriving, you know, within the windows of time that you set, right? Like all those things start to rear their ugly heads. And so which of these approaches are you taking? Because if you're not, if you're not putting them in Walmart, you know, colored vans or clothing, mm -hmm. it sounds like you're taking the latter, which means you're also standing this up from ground zero, right? where a lot of people have had far more experience doing this. And then you're not getting any efficiencies in your fleet, which is the direction that my insiders tell me most people are going, like, you know, when you think about it, because yeah. that's where the value is. Yeah. And, and so, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. It sounds like an announcement just made to be an announcement again. And then the other part that really pisses me off whenever I see this, just for everyone listening, when you read stuff in the media, this is a tell to me. When, the, when a company as large as Walmart says, we have a number of national retailers already signed up for the program, but we can't name who they are. Like, well, why the hell can't you? Because every other retailer in the business is talking about their partnerships with Shipt, Instacart, DoorDash. Right. Like, there's one being point. announced every freaking week. Mm -hmm. And 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 also, like, you're talking in the article about it's about mom and pops, but then you say national branded retailers are signing up. So who are you really helping here? I don't right. get it. The one saving grace for me is, like, where, tar where Walmart stores are, stores are located are probably in places that are hard to get gig drivers. Mm -hmm. So if you are using your own fleet in that space for capacity to help out those small businesses in that area and get some extra revenue, I could see that working. But that doesn't sound like what you're doing. So I don't get it. What do you think, though? I, do you like this? I don't know. I Well, one, I don't understand. Like, it's like just you were saying earlier, like, is this a SaaS play or a last mile as a service play? Like, I don't understand what they're offering to, to these retailers. And my biggest question is, are local mom and pop retailers, which this program is allegedly well, named after, right. are local retailers going to stomach this? 
is it, to your point, is it a better deal for them than the USPS, the, the least expensive of the FedEx, UPS, um, and other shipping providers right now? I think it's going to be too high touch, especially if they are going on this local angle. The amount of interaction with these small businesses, like who at Walmart is going to run that program? Like these are, if we are really talking about mom and pop businesses, that has to be so streamlined and the, the like amount of connection and that they're going to have to have with all of these tiny, yeah. tiny retailers is just it's a lot of work, I think, for Walmart. And I don't think that it's going to be profitable to answer uh, A&M's question. Great point. I think that, um, you know, shipped like this is being compared to shipped as a competitor, but shipped and Instacart, all of their 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 um, all of the companies that they work with are enterprise partners. They're yeah. not mom and pop. So there there is this like idea that you could be profitable by working with large enterprise retailers. But I, I think we're going to, we'll be interviewing Front Door Collective for um, Grocery Shop, yeah, which right. we have our mugs here, Oof. which will also be yeah. at. But we're going to be inter- interviewing Front Door Collective that is a collective of, you know, you know grassroots delivery providers. I think something like that coming up and trying to disrupt the current uh, distribution and, and fulfillment for local retailers makes a lot more sense and I think would get gain more trust by local retailers than, you know, the Walmart that's putting them all out of business. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, this sounds this sounds to me like a Walmart PR sizzle story. Like, you know, and then the other thing is, like, if they've been testing this, why hasn't anyone heard about this? Because this <laughs> isn't something you can just covertly test, right? Like, so I, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. All right. But staying in this lane. Yes. Like what I did there. Lane, I do. I, did I do. Delivery lane. Got yeah, it. All right. We're going to talk a little ship. So ship introduced a really cool concept this week, and it's called their preferred shopping feature. So according to Progressive Grocer, customers who rate a shopper with five stars after an order is delivered can now add the shopper to the customer's preferred shopper list. If the shopper accepts the request, that shopper will be prioritized to shop for the customer's future orders. Pretty cool, right, Ann? Oh, my God. I love this so much. You do? Oh, my God. I, All right. I feel like this is not getting the fanfare that it deserves. I'm actually surprised it hasn't been picked up more, too. Yeah. yeah I mean, 100%. local our local it's paper cool in Minneapolis, because, you know, shipped in Target, yeah, there's right. a base here. They picked it up. But, um, but it's a big deal. And this is why. For me, I think... This high-touch concierge service has always been associated with big-ticket items, with luxury items. And now you have this, like, idea of a personal shopper that's open to the masses. It's yeah. very on-brand for Target, it, you know, design for all. And I think this is concierge mm. for all. Interesting. And it's, you know, it's really a great example of mm. how retail is shifting to this post-purchase um, engagement with the consumer. So you have, you know, all these people like, I, I don't care if a robot picks my groceries at, at Albertsons or at Al- any, you as know. long as they're right, you don't give a shit. Yeah. As yeah, long right. as you're right. And you pick up my, my groceries, but you're delivering them. The person that delivers and drops off those groceries and what their demeanor is like and whether or not they knew that, you know, this time I, I picked this, you know, steak over the other one or this brand of ketchup over the other one. And they are telling me that and they're saying, Hey, Anne, even that they say, Hey, Anne, when right. they drop it off, right, like right. that is the touch point and, yeah. and the consumer engagement that I think shipped is going to get so much more loyalty. From me as a consumer, they are going to get me to pick them off of another person. If I know every time that Deborah is dropping off yeah. my groceries, Deborah's my gal, 
Deborah feels more ownership in her position Deborah, as a yeah sure why not as a as a as a you know it's not just a gig job now you are developing a, a rolodex with your your clients um, I think this is where you want to invest in your human capital in an industry that typically wouldn't have investment that's fat okay so you just you know what you did there that was oh, a God. stroke of genius Ann. Oh, that was a great I don't want to have a stroke no, though but, no but that was a great point because I something I'd never thought about that like it potentially gives you the inroad inroad as they're as they're establishing more partnerships with different types of retailers into apparel shopping like exactly you know luxury shopping like the concierge style thing which I'd never thought about which is a brilliant angle this in addition to just you know when you find somebody that knows how to pick your bananas for you you want to keep that person that picks your bananas for you the question that I have though yes and I think this is really important. Yes. Because I like it too. But I worry about what this means strategically for Target from an employee relations perspective. For shipped. For shipped. Yeah, yeah Target. It's, you know, Target yeah. on ship. Um, because by essentially noting that, say, Deborah again, let's yes. use Deborah. Deborah's everyone's Deborah. favorite shipped worker. If Deborah is always available for me to select yeah. in the app, doesn't that by default mean that Deborah kind of works for ship on a regular basis? Yeah. And so couldn't shift essentially. If she wants to. Just right. because you like Deborah doesn't mean Deborah likes you though, Chris. Yeah, I know, but it's just it's just it's it's starting to set the precedent that these gig workers are attached to the company in a different way than they were previously. Not gig workers anymore. Yeah. That, You're talking so, W2 employees. Yeah, so I'm I'm starting to so if there's any uh, any employment lawyers out there or anyone that's dating an employment lawyer or maybe even sleeping with an employment oh lawyer, if you can ask that question in relation to the story, I would be really fascinating to hear the answer because that's a that's an article for me coming out right there if there's any bite to that discussion because to me, it seems like you're trying to have your cake and eat it a little too. Yeah, if you're trying true. to set up this type of structure with people, like they, they can continually come back to the same worker at your organization who is supposed to be a gig worker. But anyway, let's move on. All right. Well, headline number five, according to CNBC, eyeglass retailer Warby Parker is filing for an IPO, revealing rising sales but also widening losses. So Warby has lost money or broken even over each of the past three fiscal years. Its net revenue rose to almost $400 million in the last most recent uh, fiscal year, but is, its net loss during that time was $55 million. Now, this quote I pulled from the article because I thought it was oh, really okay. interesting. Cool. This was in... This is a quote from Warby Parker saying, because we have a short operating history at scale, it's difficult for us to predict our future operating results. We will need to generate and sustain increased revenue and manage our costs to achieve profitability. Even if we do, we may not be able to sustain or increase our profitability. Now, Chris. That's fascinating disclosure. Wow. I'm not uh, not a stock market expert by any (sighs) means, but I mean. (laughs) So you're you're saying it's dubious is what you're saying. I just. Don't you want to position your company in a little bit better yeah. light when you're about to open it up to the market? Like, I just, I don't get this. I th- I think this is really telling. Like, I did some research on this, too, and I want to give the facts and make sure everyone heard the points that you raised, too. So, like, annual revenue was just shy of $400 million, which I think when you hear that and you think Warby Parker, wow, that seems low. Yeah, that right? is a really good point. I thought so, too. Yeah. It hasn't made money in three years, at least. I don't know what how much money it was making before. According to the, according to the, the sources in the article, it has 145 stores, 145 stores, which if you remember, 
the whole thing about Warby Parker, which I can remember running e-commerce at Target back in 2013, Warby Parker was the like standard bearer of omni-channel retailing, yep. which if you talk to people who have worked at OmniTalk or I'm sorry, worked at, at Warby Parker, some of whom may have or may not have worked at OmniTalk, um, they would say that's probably a little oversold. Yeah. And I think this starts to tell you why too. But, you know, the, the the thought process there was always that, you know, you put a store in the market and sales in the market go up 10 or 15 percent. Mm-hmm. But when you look about against that base of 400, 400 million and 150, almost 150 stores, you're like, well, what, really? Yeah. Because on an average basis, if you do the math, I did it last night, that's $2.7 million per store. But you have to remember that some of that is online volume in that 400 million. Mm -hmm. And most of those stores are probably built in your best locations. Yep. So it makes me wonder, quite honestly, like how much volume they're really getting out of the stores. And a good store in the size of of what Warby Parker does needs to be generating probably 1 million to 1.5 million on a regular basis Mm -hmm. to be working. Right. uh, From what I understand. And so it begs the question to me, like, is this business model just doomed to fail? Because if you stop and think about it, like you have to sell a lot of pairs of cheap glasses to to make the overhead work right. on a store operation. Right. Right. And so is there a reason we've seen that traditionally eyeglass stores uh, have worked where you have the optometrist in the back mm-hmm. selling the, the glasses as kind of an add-on? Yeah. And I think this gives you credence to the fact of like, yes, that's probably why it's happened. Warby Parker needs to go raise some money to figure out how to stand up that side of the business, which you hinted at. I give you credit because you were on that part of the story a long time ago saying how like they're trying to get more into optometry as a part of it. But I wonder if all the incentives are going to be aligned in the right way there to make this work. So I don't I'm 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 jumping ship on this stock. Like I'm I'm not in on this. And to your point, like the optometrists that that was like. Warby's whole like ethos of why they started the company. The optometrists are working with Luxottica and some of these other giant brands, and those glasses are six hundred dollars. So the the yeah, margins much margin. are much higher for that yeah. that place than there is Warby Parker. And yeah, I think you know the danger to me is when you start when you go public and you know people are going to start questioning things. Um, the board of directors is going to start questioning the co-founders who are still remaining at the helm of this operation. You know. What are you doing to, you know, decrease your rent footprint, I think? Like, it's I have to imagine that the rent that Warby Parker is paying, even in the Class A malls, has to be lower. They're a major attraction point for these malls. So how are you negotiating rents in in the new locations that they're planning on opening even more locations this year, which will impact that number uh, even more? I think they need to be thinking about what staff is like in store, like, you know, when you go to look at glasses, how much do you really need, you know, 10 people in the store with you? It's nice. It's it's a it's a benefit. But I think you're right at putting those people into maybe a position where they're doing eye exams only. And like, that's the person that's manning the store. And the rest of it is just open. Like, I just want to go try right. five pairs of glasses on and then pick one and then, you know, scan a QR code and be out the door. You don't need to have the the staffing, I think, that they have currently in their store that they, their model was built on to be profitable. Um, and then I think it's looking at increasing margins um, in the glasses themselves. They have done that, like yeah, over the pandemic, the especially, up. you know, blue light blocking to add to your Warby yeah. Parker glasses was $50. It's half the price of the glasses right. to add Give on. Brain, so right. uh, I think those are some areas that they'll see pressure to kind of increase performance. I just wonder if the model works because, you know, the whole time as these guys were the darling of omni-channel retailing, I, the whole time I was sitting there going, why aren't these guys expanding faster? Like what the hell's taking so long? Yeah. 
And then the other part of this too is I wonder if there's more of a house of cards here because if they're only doing $400 million with 150 stores and then you've got all these other startups that are getting hundreds, 200s of millions of dollars flooded into them, especially all the roll-up companies now that are out there that are like, you know, supposed to be helping these digitally native brands who, as we know, digitally native brands, hard business to make profitable as evidence A here in this case and a much smaller scale. That, that money is just flooding into those companies. I'm curious how the return on that ever materializes as well yeah. down the road. Smart for the d- digitally native brands to get out and sell to those companies with, you know, take advantage of that f- soft financing that's going on. But just, I don't know. It's just something doesn't smell right. It's never smelled right. And I'm, I'm kind of out on this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not an investment person. Please do not take this is my not investment, investment advice. advice. No, but as a retail, I'm I'm a little sh- I'm I'm short on this concept now. Well, before we get uh, cease and desist letters from the SEC, I'm going to close us up here, Chris. Uh, it is time for rapid fire questions. Oh, I love the rapid fire. Are, questions. Can you sustain rapid fire right oh, now? Oh, for sure. Okay. I can, I'm I'm on a roll, Anne. I, I feel can this tell. is like one of my best shows. Oh my god, he's he has not become more humble throughout this process. <laughs> let me tell you, folks. Um, okay, first question. So Facebook is doing meetings in the metaverse. American Eagle has become the first retail brand to have an exclusive partnership co-creating product with Twitch creators, and even legacy apparel brand Ralph Lauren is making digital apparel for your avatars what is the first thing you're going to buy for your avatar in the metaverse Ooh, ooh, uh a fanny pack <laughs> i'm gonna buy a fanny pack you don't even have a fanny pack in real life i know but that's are you gonna I'm start cool being one of those like one. lululemon like over the like crossbody the crossbody fanny yeah. pack i can see it. chris is just gonna oh, show up next st- saturday funny story my wife real quick my wife tried to do that with the old fanny like the old style <laughs> fanny pack and she comes downstairs i'm like Honey, you look ridiculous. She's like, but that's how everybody's wearing them right now. I'm like, no, that's not how they're wearing those. Like, stop, please, Mrs. Zombie Dog. Oh, stop. I but hey, her. I kid because I love. All right, and Mark Laurie unveiled his the logo for his new city of the future this week, Tolosa. Which of the which of the three core missions the logo is supposed to represent resonate the most with you? Openness, fairness, or inclusivity? Well, obviously inclusivity, because hopefully this new city will be inclusive of all people, not just people who have a doorman. Way to buy it, in. Way to buy in. All right, Chris. TikTok announced they're expanding their partnership with Shopify and will be allowing select business accounts to add a shopping tab to their accounts, sync products, and create mini storefronts on their accounts. What three products would be on the Chris Walton TikTok store? Oh, man, that's that's super easy. Podcast sponsorships, number one. Commission writing. And Zoom presentations from the waist up, of course. No, that is the worst. This you you got to be engaged in the fun of this thing. That's like what, what engaged in the fun of it. That, fanny that's packs. what. I, what what, fanny am I, what else am I going to sell? Said. Like, am I going to start selling glasses for sixty bucks? I don't. Know. I don't like, know. Like things that you. I like. can't Hoodies. smelt anything, and I will do. This. I have no engineering Hoodies, capabilities. Baseball caps and sneakers. That Hoodies, is what's baseball. on. That's a but better. I, what am I now manufacturing? Question. I mean, come on! I'm trying to deal in realism here. I'm trying to deal with my own competitive competencies. Oh my god! Let's move on. All right, all right. And Major, this is a great one. Major League Baseball has dumped longtime trading card partner Tops in favor of Fanatics. If you could have one Major League Baseball player hanging on a poster on the wall of your childhood room, who would it be? Um, Justin Morneau. Justin Morneau, really? Of the and I guess twins? I'm going to say like childhood being like. Can I go into my early Yeah, that's 20s? like your adulthood, by the way. That's creepy now. No, 
that's not creepy. I I interviewed him when he was a rookie as oh, part of did? a project oh. for um for school for my journalism degree, oh. and it was one of the best interviews. I got to like interview him and and uh, Joe Maurer when they were like oh, wow. being put in Hooters uniforms on planes uh, by the rest of the Twins players, and oh. he they were both wonderful. But Justin was especially gracious and like cool. giving me time for an interview. Which cool story? I didn't know that story. Yeah. that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's, it's a shame what happened to him. He got concussed right right out of the right out of the sport. I think that he's doing all right though. He he's, probably did all right. Yeah, he, he's married and has some cute former kids, MVP. So. Former MVP. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, next question. Kylie Jenner announced she's expanding the Kylie line into swimwear that will be released soon and called Kylie Swim. You're wondering where I'm going with this. Oh, God, yes. Uh, That's her first expansion into apparel. Uh, And while at the same time, another billion-dollar female brand owner, Rihanna, donned her line of Savage X Fenty lingerie in a pool for her latest campaign. Okay. Listeners want to know, Chris Walton, in the battle of billionaire female brand owners, Mm. are you Team Kylie or Team Rihanna? Oh, I'm not team either one of those, but I am. I am team Kendall. What? I am all in on Kendall Jenner right now. Why? Oh, yeah. First, well, mainly because of her relationship with Diva, Devin Booker, Phoenix Suns. He's awesome. He's amazing. And those, I gotta tell you, the the photos from their vacation in Italy, stunning. Why are you looking stunningly at those gorgeous? Stunningly gorgeous. It pops up in my Facebook feed all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Facebook news, yo. Oh my gosh! All right, that wraps us up this week. Happy birthday to Macaulay Culkin and Mother Teresa. The only thing that <laughs> those two might have in common is that their names begin with the same letter. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it Omni Talk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest fastest rundown of all the week's top news and our twice weekly e-newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you and all within the preview pane of your inbox you can sign up today at omnitalk.blog thanks as always for listening in thanks chris for being back we are so lucky to have you back with us so happy we should do it again yeah all right yeah please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on youtube and of course be careful out there the omnitalk fast five is brought to you with the help and support of the a&m consumer and retail group the AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities towards their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com.